multiple shots fired, possibly people down. 245, just a carry 417, going to be at Saugus High School. Go to the north side of the campus. We're all staging here and making entry. I have one down inside the office, and I need paramedics. And that was relayed by a witness last evening in the quad, center quad, and he only had a, some sort of pistol. This morning, tragedy struck Southern California. At 7.38 this morning, Santa Clarita Sheriff's Station received a 911 call of a a shooting at Saugus High School. A 16-year-old student opened fire this morning at Saugus High School in Santa Clarita, killing killing two young students. On today's show, we get a live update from Henry Mayo Hospital and learn how we can discuss tragedy. This is From Where We Are. We're coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. It's Thursday, November 14th. I'm Jolene Pumphrey. And I'm Helena Gatelu. The incident unfolded this morning just shortly after 7.30 a.m. before the school day began. 15-year-old Adam Eichenser was one on his way to Saugus High School when he received the alert. I was walking to school mm-hmm. and I got texts to not come to school that there was like a shooter. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe it at first, but then, you know, I saw a bunch of cops and so I just walked back home and called my mom. Law enforcement arrived on the scene minutes later to six victims in the quad. Those victims were then transported to a local hospital amidst the chaos. Reporter Morgan Stevens is live at Henry Mayo Hospital in Valencia right now with the latest. Hi, Morgan. What's happening right now? Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, So they just started a press conference about a minute ago, uh, giving us the latest information on what's happening. They have a representative from uh, Henry Mayo Hospital, Patrick Moody, as well as the Santa Clarita Valley Sheriff's Department Captain Robert Lewis, who's speaking right now. And what do you know so far? Uh, So far, uh, there were four victims that were transferred here. Uh, Two of them have since passed away. One was a 16-year-old female, and the other was a 14-year-old male. Uh, The the other two victims that were were left uh, were two males. Uh, one is in critical condition, uh, and one is here with non-life-threatening injuries. Uh, but we, we don't know exactly still where the shooter is being treated, so there have been uh, some, some reports, all unconfirmed, uh, but some reports that the shooter might be uh, being treated here, so we have to see what the press conference says if they address that. And have you spoken with anyone affected? No, we, we haven't spoken with anyone. So the, the media, when we got here, the, the media was, was being kept back um, from the entrance of the hospital. Uh, and, of course, we wanted to be respectful uh, during a time like this. So we, we hung back uh, with all the other uh, cameramen and reporters. Um, and, and I'm sure that was, that was a strategy that the hospital wanted to implement just because of the sensitive nature of the incident. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Morgan. Absolutely, thanks for having me. While Santa Clarita is one of the largest cities in Los Angeles County, there is a strong sense of community around Saugus High School. 16-year-old Katie Pond is a junior at Saugus High School. We are like not a small community, but we're pretty big, and we all like, know each other and know of each other. And there's some people that don't get along with everyone, but we're always kind of there for each other no matter what happens. 
Tonight, the city of Santa Clarita will open its activity center to students and community members. Reporter Isaiah Murtaugh is there now. Isaiah, what's going to be happening there? Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm standing outside the Santa Clarita Activity Center right now. Um, it's up on a hill. There's a little bit of a breeze going, and um, they're inside right now starting to set up for the office and and other services. Um, I inside real quickly um, just to take a look around. I've got a big room with a bunch of whites uh, set up in groups of three or four. Um, so that people can sit and talk um, and start to process this thing. Um, it's the city and the community have rallied around this really quickly. Um, this is just one of the things happening tonight. There's going to be um, services at Crossroads Community Church at 6 p.m. Oh, okay. Um, um, sorry for the technical difficulties. Um, there's going to be a big vigil at Central Park. Thank you so much, Isaiah. Sorry for the technical difficulties. We'll come back to you later. The community is responding not just with tonight's vigil, but with conversations and dialogue. Becky Sweeney was present this morning at the, rec re at the reunification center near Saugus High School and shares students' immediate reactions to this morning events. Saugus High School student Francesca Figuera was just getting to school when she heard the gunshots. I turned around and saw my sister and I said that we had to leave, there was a shooter, so we started running away from the school and I heard parents asking me what's going on and I told them that there was a shooter, don't go to school, don't go to school. Figuera hid at a friend's house with her sister until she learned it was safe to go home. She then went to Central Park in Santa Clarita to check on her friends. We're a very tight, close-knit community. Like, everyone knows everyone here. Um, it's very rare that you'll walk down the street and not recognize, you know, your, your neighbor, your, you know, sports teammate. It's just very, very close here. Figuera's older sister, Shannon, is a former student at Saugus High. She has been through similar trauma. At my work, there was a, an active shooter type situation, and I just remember like the vulnerability and like the dread that you feel because there's nothing you can really do in that moment. And then knowing that there's youth and kids that are experiencing that is just, it's heartbreaking. Saga student Paula Valgas was in the high school this morning under lockdown. For her, there is one solution. Gun control. We need gun control. <laughs> I'm sure he was pretty young, and like, how the heck did he get a gun in his hands? And like, I don't know, it's just stupid how easy it is to get a gun. Grief counseling is available for students affected by this tragedy. For Annenberg Media, I'm Becky Sweeney. The Hart School District announced today that all schools in the district will be closed tomorrow out of respect for the victims and their families. When we face moments of tragedy, many turn to social media as a way to connect, to bond, and to heal. Ariel Smith talks to an occupational therapist about how a community can utilize technology in a time of need. In times of grief, social media provides a platform for a community to feel connected and supported. Despite the tragic news accumulating on our feeds and in our notifications, there are ways that social media can be helpful. Here's Chantelle Rice Collins, a USC occupational therapy professor. There's a lot of downsides to social media. We know that. But it can be difficult to talk about these situations sometimes. In social media, things like Instagram, they can be ways for individuals to reach out 
without having to be vulnerable right in front of an audience. But we know that social media can also lead people to feel more isolated. And in that sense, that's, you know, one of the first stages of grief is the risk of kind of denial and isolation. Though no two people experience loss the same way, it's important for students to be educated on available resources. That way, you know where to find help and how to help a friend. I think that there's really a balance with that. I think it, it really is about the individual's intention. Um, but from my perspective, when it comes to something like grief and loss, the more we can have that sense of community and interpersonal interaction, the better, especially in an environment on campus where so many people are away from their families and their loved ones, um, and they're living in, in dorms and they're living in other campus housing, it can be easy to isolate yourself. And so I think the more that we can reach out and we can do, um, we can try to connect in person, I think is really the better. Dr. Rice Collins believes that many more conversations need to be had because one death is too many. The risk is too high and it's up to the USC community to support one another during these difficult times. For Annenberg Media, I'm Arielle Smith. Social media can be an important avenue for expressing grief, but it is also important to look to mental health professionals for guidance. Just a few minutes ago, our reporter Zazu Lippert spoke with Claire Telford, who is a licensed therapist who, produ- who specializes in adolescent trauma. They spoke about navigating the emotional effects of a shooting. First thing, and very important for, for everyone to hear, is that the, the adults, the parents, need to stay calm. As scared as they are, they need to stay calm. The second thing is to let the kids lead the way for conversations. Some may want to go over it and over it. Some may not. Don't force the issue. Let them do what they need to do, talk about what they want to talk about. If they don't want to talk about it, don't force the issue. And what can you expect in the next days or weeks to come? Very, very emotional kids. Uh, They will go from being fine and saying it's no big deal to tears, to uh, anger, irritability, um, not wanting to be alone, needing to be alone. You can expect every single emotion you can imagine and don't worry about it. That's normal. If it goes on for weeks, that's when to worry about it. The next probably three to four days to a week, um, kids are going to be very emotional, and they're not going to really understand it because they're still in shock. The adrenaline of today will wear off. It will hit them what's happened, and they will, be, they will have all kinds of feelings. Don't judge them. Don't tell them to get over it. Don't go there with them. Just let them feel what they feel and and get them where they need to be. If they want to be with friends, they should be with friends as long as there is an adult that you trust with them. And what are the signs of shock and or PTSD? I I would say today, uh, pretty much everybody that was affected by this, parents, kids, teachers, anybody in that that area in Saugus, um, is in some kind of shock. It it can feel numbing. It can feel, uh, you'll see people walking around as if nothing's happened. Um, and, and the key to it is, is that if you see someone acting different or strange, like it didn't happen or they're not speaking, um, make sure that somebody stays with them and gets them to a family member or a friend or, you know, somebody who can just be with them. Being alone when you're in shock is, a, is, is the wrong thing to do. We lost connection with a reporter earlier due to technical difficulties. He is live at the Activity Center in Santa Clarita. Isaiah, what's going to be happening there? I'm standing outside the Santa Clarita Activity Center right now, and doors are going to open at 5. The city is offering a bunch of services, including counseling and support groups. 
I poked my head in real quick and talked to some of the staffers there. They've been working all day to get set up. Um, in the main room, there are a bunch of chairs set up in groups of three or four so that people can sit and talk about this um, with their close friends, with their family, and start to work through the process of, of healing. The community has pulled all of this together really, really quickly. Um, and I think they've learned a lot from incidents like this in the past. Um, tonight at Crossroads Community Church, there will also be services at 6 p.m. Um, at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church, there'll be a prayer service at 7 p.m. And then there's going to be a big vigil on Sunday night at 7 p.m. at Central Park, which is a large park down the street from the school. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Isaiah. I'm Helena Gatelu. We're glad you're with us for From Where We Are. And I'm Jolene Pumphrey. It's 12 minutes past the hour. This semester has been one of the most difficult in recent memory for the USC community. There have been nine deaths this semester on campus. Three have been linked to suicide, and the causes of the other six have not yet been confirmed. Coming up, we learned from a student who attended a wellness town hall last night and introduced an important new section to Annenberg Media's reporting. But first, this is what USC President Carol Folt had to say after the tragic events that came to light. I think what we're all trying to communicate to people is, first of all, you know, our, our personal caring. I mean, this is very hard for everybody, and I think we want our students to really understand that. I th think about it when I talk to parents. You know, I feel like saying, look, I'm a mom. I can't imagine, you know, anything that's worse uh, for people than to be facing the death of, uh, you know, one of your children or, 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 or your friends. This is very, very difficult. So we're very caring about it. Um, I think I do want people to understand, though, that we are and have been really taking a very strong uh, approach to adding more help. In the meantime, students are responding in their own way. Last night, US, USG held an open forum event giving students the opportunity to share their experiences and opinions regarding mental health on campus. They also encourage students to help brainstorm ways our university can address the problem. Today, we have Jessica Doherty, a current senior at USC and managing editor at Annenberg Media, here to talk to us about last night's event. Thank you for joining us, Jess. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. First of all, why did you choose to attend the event? Um, so I want to make it clear that I attended the event as a student and not as a reporter. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction to make because I think um, it was a very intimate and important event. Um, and as somebody who has lost friends in the past um, and recently, um, it was really important for me to hear about the concrete ways that USC is planning to address the issues of mental health on this campus um, because it's something I think myself and a lot of other people on campus have been struggling with and are desperate for answers for. What did students seem to be frustrated about? Um, students seem to have a lot of frustrations about the way uh, that counseling services handle certain issues, um, even walk-ins and, you know, just kind of the, the overall issues that they have with the system that's currently in place. And even though there are efforts being made to improve upon the mental health facilities that we have and um, the resources that we do have, um, a lot of students had complaints about, um, you know, all the hotlines and all of the walk-ins that already exist, as well as yearning for new types of counseling um, 
specifically for uh, counselors that better represent the student body um, in terms of being queer, being people of color, um, that kind of can reflect upon people's different experiences, as well as um, uh, focusing on like the uh, kind of resource centers that we have for different communities here on campus, like the queer community and for different different um, student groups on campus and kind of seeing where else we can kind of fill in the gaps that maybe Engaman leaves. Mm-hmm. And what were some takeaways you had from the USG event? It was really powerful to hear a lot of people's different different experiences um, with the mental health uh, resources that we have. Um, and I think it was really amazing that we were able to get that many Trojans in one room together. I think it's really hard for a campus this size to actually be able to get people to come together and be able to share a space for a significant period of time. Um, They even extended the event because a lot of people had points to be made. Um, So they extended the event by 30 minutes. Um, And I think that it's something that that everybody felt like their voice was heard um, and that it should be something that is continued to be done. Like, I think it's a conversation that isn't over yet. Um, And just having one of these was really effective, but I think having them more often will also be effective um, for the students who were unable to make this event, um, as well as making sure that it is a continued dialogue that doesn't end here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. The university's public safety department has its own system of checking in on students, but it often involves students, friends, or parents asking for a welfare check. Reporter Kate Johnston explains what that entails. It's been a turbulent time for mental health at USC. Though you as an individual may not be personally affected, you probably know someone who is. Or maybe you don't. Often, the people who need help the most won't ask for it. That's why it's important to actively check in on your friends and loved ones during times of crisis. USC student Antoinette Riccio has been making sure to do exactly this. I noticed that everyone had really subjected themselves to mourning and grieving in silence. I think a lot of people's first instinct was to say something like, you know, reach out if you need anything, which is actually a really passive way of supporting someone. And so something that I tried to start doing was to say, you know, let me know if you need me to reach out to you, whether it's weekly or biweekly, just so that I can take the burden off of people who are struggling and put it on myself to really be supporting them in an active way. But that doesn't mean it's your responsibility to take on the weight of helping people alone. If you suspect someone is in danger and feel unequipped to handle it, you can call on others to intervene. According to this week's crime logs posted to the DPS website, since the passing of the USC student over the weekend, four students have been transported to extended psychiatric care, and three students have had DPS conduct welfare checks on them. One of the welfare checks was prompted at the request of the student's academic advisor. The other two were requested by the student's parents. For students who don't feel comfortable calling law enforcement, USC offers other intervention programs. Trojans Care for Trojans, for example, lets people anonymously report concerns about other students. The group then reaches out to those students and offers connections to institutional support and mental health resources. So this week, remember to ask your friends how they're doing. They may need support more than you think. For Annenberg Media, I'm Kate Johnston.
Dan Toomey is Annenberg Media's Managing Editor for Culture and Outreach. He is working on the creation of a desk focused on health and wellness on USC campus. So, Dan, can you talk to us about the inspiration for the new desk? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's there's a huge demand for it from the campus audience, um, which is what our audience is here at Annenberg Media. Um, I mean, health and wellness is a huge industry that's just kind of you know, taken over the world over the past few years. And I think that's, you know, that's made even more important given what's just been happening on campus. This was actually something that we, that we started earlier this semester. This idea kind of came into fruition um, as a part of the Cali Finney Memorial Scholarship, which is the first time that this scholarship is being awarded. And um, I was one of the recipients from Annenberg. There was another student, uh, a few other students across USC, but we're receiving funding from the school as a part of this endowment um, just to respond to this crisis in some way. And creating this vertical is um, is Annenberg's way of, of contributing. Are there any specific topics you intend the desk will focus on? I mean, yes, uh, mental health being one of them. Uh, I, I think kind of clearing up some of the either misconceptions there might be around mental health, uh, specifically resources on campus, or also providing, you know, tips for students' mental health, how they can feel better themselves. Um, obviously, we're going to uncover things as this desk continues. In fact, one of our big initiatives, actually, and this is inspired by the Denver Post, is um, we want students to feel free coming to our, uh, we want students to think that, to know that they can come to us and have off-the-record conversations to point our reporters in the right direction so we can address specific topics that we might not know about because um, I always say normalization is one of the best antidotes to stigma. Um, and so this is how, by having these open conversations, that's how we, we figure out what stories we should be telling. And what are some do's and don'ts when covering topics related to health and wellness? Uh, don't say suffers. Um, mental health is something that really impacts a, a broad range of people across society in very nuanced and complicated ways. Um, you have to approach the topic with the utmost delicacy because you don't know what somebody might be going through um, and you don't know uh, what we're going to discover over the next few years. So, um, I mean, if I were to put it generally, um, be as sensitive as possible, be understanding of other people and um, don't make it seem like it's something that they're suffering from. And as a journalist, what skills have you acquired from covering this beat? I mean, I, I learn more about the unique problems that people are dealing with every day. Um, again, as a journalist, you have to enter almost every situation uh, with an understanding of, I don't know this topic. What can I learn the most? Um, and so from what I hear from students is how each each issue that students are dealing with is their own unique issue. And while it can connect to a broader range of, of topics that we're talking about in mental health, what I've learned is that these stories are unique, but we can still come together through them. And so what's the easiest way for students to get in touch with the desk? Uh, email mediacenteran at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us. Cool. No problem, guys. A lack of affordable and nutritious food can have a negative impact on wellness, and that's an issue here at USC for many students. Finding an affordable meal on campus is getting increasingly difficult. Natasha Brennan explains the different on- and off-campus resources students can receive to enjoy a balanced yet financially reasonable diet. Junior Jacqueline Mejia brings her lunch almost every day. When she first transferred to USC, she considered a dining plan, which can cost between $380 to $3,810 a semester. She decided it was too expensive. I'll like get like kava like once in a blue moon, but I usually bring my own food. Price point wise, food on campus is a bit more expensive than I would like to spend, but just easier for me to bring my own food.
According to a national survey from the Hope Center earlier this year, 45% of the 86,000 students surveyed reported being food insecure within the last month. Matthew Lee is the director of media for the Trojan Shelter, an on-campus homeless shelter run by students. He said that one in five USC students are food insecure. He said much of this has to do with the price of food on campus and how aid is dispersed. A lot of students come here with financial aid or scholarships, and that covers a lot of the cost of living. But oftentimes, the money that you get from scholarships and financial aid is not enough to cover everything. And often what is left is housing and food. And I have to choose between waiting for me to come home or me paying for a meal on campus. Sometimes like, I don't have enough money in the bank. I'll wait like an extra five hours to eat at home. Alec Vandenberg works at the Trojan Pantry to help students apply for CalFresh, California's subsidized food program. He estimates that several thousand USC students could qualify. He is working toward a new initiative to have restaurants on campus and in the village accept these benefits to help tackle food insecurity and affordability. We do know that campus hunger is a big issue if you look at the utilization of the food pantry. The issue is not only you know, having money to pay for it, it's also the prices in of themselves. That there are a lot of different ways that students are trying to access resources. We're trying to kind of proliferate those resources, spread awareness, and destigmatize it because this is an issue affecting a lot of students, um, not just a select few. For Annenberg Media, I'm Natasha Brennan. In tonight's broadcast, we want to bring you a message of hope and progress. The Archbishop of Los Angeles, Jose Gomez, has been elected as the leader of the U.S. Catholic bishops. He is the first Latino selected for the role in the United States. Annenberg Media's Lorena Bordevoir has more. Nearly 200 bishops voted to elect Jose Gomez, the Archbishop of Los Angeles, as their national leader. Gomez was born and raised in Mexico. He served as vice president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops for three years prior to his new charge. Richardson Wu, the pastor of Our Savior Parish in Los Angeles, says having a Latino leader at the national level is more than appropriate, considering that nearly 40% of American Catholics are Hispanic. Um, I think it's, it's only fitting and right because of the fact that the majority of the U.S. church are Latinos. And, uh, and it would behoove us not to have uh, that, that representation uh, in the leadership of our church. Gomez also defines himself as a big supporter of immigrants' rights. Baudelia Zapata, a Catholic immigrant from Mexico, says she's hopeful that as the new leader of the Catholic Church, the Archbishop will advocate for DACA recipients, whose right to stay in the United States is in danger. I already have papers, but there are those who don't, poor people. How can the U.S. force so many people to lose their status? That's wrong. This country has always been a country of immigrants. It was created by immigrants. I hope the Archbishop will do something to change the situation with President Trump because he's always attacking our community. Roberto Mallorca is a Catholic immigrant from Nicaragua, and he hopes the new Archbishop will address the sexual abuse cases the Catholic Church is facing. We hope that as a new leader, as the most important authority of Latino origin in the church, he will do something about the priests who have committed immoral acts. I hope that he will do something to stop the cover-ups of the priests because that damages the image of the Catholic Church. While Latinos comprise the majority of Catholics in the United States, Latinos who identify with the religion have actually decreased by 10% between the last 10 years, 
according to a Pew Research survey. Tania Bernal, a local LA teacher who was born Catholic but doesn't identify with the religion anymore, says having a Latino leader doesn't make any difference for her. I guess it's an, it's important as far as you know for the for Hispanics, but as far as anything else, I don't find it personally relevant to me, or you know it, it doesn't impact me in any way, other than he's Hispanic and that's great. Archbishop Jose Gomez will officially begin his term this Thursday, November 14th. For Annenberg Media, I'm Lorena Bordeveo. Today's show covered a lot of tough topics. If you or someone you know is in need of help, please reach out to professional counselors, including those at the Student Health Services. That's all for today's From Where We Are. Luke Scorzell and Joshua Chang produced today's show. We had help from Zazu Lippert, Isaiah Murtaugh, Evan Jacoby, and Sasha Urban. Yuki Liang is our technical operator. I'm Jolene Pumphrey. And I'm Helena Gatelu. Be sure to subscribe to From Where We Are on iTunes and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Annenberg Media. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, thank you for listening to From Where We Are. <laughs>